This is from Song of Songs, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. You have made my heart beat faster. My sister, my bride, you have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than all kinds of spices. Song of Solomon 4, 9 and 10. Um, You know, you remember the first kiss. You remember your first date. You remember all kinds of things that stay alive in your marriage. And just let me encourage you, if, if it's been a commitment, move toward the romance part where you're working on it. Um, there, there are all kinds of things that you can do to make that romance there so it's not just commitment. Spend time together, hold hands together, give gifts to each other, make love frequently. Uh, Dr. Dobbins, who um, was our state assistant superintendent for... I don't know, probably 30 years, uh, started Emerge Counseling Center up in Akron. He's a very uh, familiar name in the state of Ohio. Dr. Dobbins, he used to teach that if a couple would do two things, he said he had very rarely ever seen divorce happen in their marriage. The, The two things are pray together and to be regularly intimate with one another. And a simple way to pray together that we teach in marriage encounter weekends And if you've never been to one of those, I'd encourage you to avail yourself to that. We do those once a year here in the state of Ohio, and they're around the nation all through the year, um, is to to have a 90-second prayer. Pray together. It takes 90 seconds. The man asks God for something for his wife, and he asks God to bless something that he sees in her. So he sees something in his wife, and then he asks something for her. Uh, an illustration would be, God, thank you for the way Kay is so quick to forgive. So I'm thanking God for something in my spouse, and then I ask God for something for my spouse. So God, I thank you for Kay, the way she's so quick to forgive. Today, would you bless her as she's getting ready for our trip to Singapore and all of the responsibilities and getting the teaching together? I know she's stressed over that right now. We're going to Singapore for four weeks. And, and so, simple little prayer. Then the spouse prays the same thing back. They, they thank God for something, and they pray for something. It's very simple, very quick, takes about 90 seconds. Um, the, the intimate part should be what is pr- pleasurable to both. Dr. Dobbins used to talk about how many women there are in, in Christian women who think they married the only sex maniac in the church. And how many Christian men think they married the only iceberg in the church? Um, You know, that's tough. That's the way it is. It often works out that way. Uh, God made men with the drive. Men are the aggressor. Men have this desire. Uh, They have this thing that's percolating in them. And and so if, if a lady, she hasn't been around that in her home possibly, and she marries this guy, oh my goodness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 to 5, it says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time 
so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And uh, let me encourage you, ladies, you know, your desire for sex is going to be less probably than your husband. Dr. Dobbins says sometimes it's, it's different, but, uh, you know, ladies, if you're one of those that you don't have this desire right now, see it as a way of protecting your husband from the snares of the world and from other women outside of your home. We're in this marriage together. And, and so, you know, work on that. Men, if, you're, if your wife says, you know, hey, is this an even or odd year? I'm not into every year. There's sometimes men that you also understand that. And, and you work at controlling yourself and not being a sex maniac where you have to have sex three times a day. Say, wow, I've not heard this kind of stuff in church in a long time. Well, you'll get over it. That's because you don't go to his church. <laughs> and romance is not just having sex. It's, it's cards and flowers. It's candy. It's notes. It's opening doors. Uh, you know, I, I still walk around and open the car door and let my wife in. Now, when it's raining, she'll say, it's okay. I'll get there. You know, I just make sure I get the button unlocked before she's standing out there going, you could have at least unlocked the door. Uh, romance is important. Sunday mornings are our romance time with God as Christians. And, and so marriage is God's idea. Marriage requires commitment. Romance is important in marriage. Yes, next is marriage holds times of great joy. And I think some of that, the romance, uh, I, I'll just throw on there, no matter how young or how old you are, if you cannot be honest with your spouse, then you cannot grow, especially, I think, in that area. So that's a huge thing, is to talk about what's good and what's bad in your marriage, because then you can make it better. And not ever pointing down at the other person, but just be able to work on yourself. And so honesty is such a huge thing. But marriage holds times of great joy. In Jeremiah 33, uh, 10th and 11, it says, Thus says the Lord yet again, there will be heard in this place of which you say, It is a waste without man and without beast. That is, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of, the, of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. The Lord is good. And I love that in a desolate, desolate place, so it's talking about just the mess of life, it's the first thing it says is it's going to be the voice of the bride and the bridegroom. In other words, that's such an exciting moment, an exciting time, and that is what marriage should be in our life. It should be times that are exciting and things, things that are great. Uh, the last few weeks have been a little crazy. We were here, or Rachel and I both were here last week for senior high camp, and, or high school camp. Now it was a great time. But the two weeks before that, I was in El Salvador. And it's amazing what happens all of a sudden as you continue and you're married, that like the day before I think I left, I started to be like, oh man, I'm not going to be near my wife for 10 days. Like it was just this thing that happened. And on the trip, it was amazing that as I'm there, I'm like, this is fun. And there's a great tra trapeze swing into the lake. And there's an ocean that we got to go to. And it was really cool, obviously, to get to pray for people and see God do stuff. Really cool. But there was also a place that was like, I really just want to go 
hang out with my wife. I really just want to go because there's a different thing that happens with, with your wife, with a spouse. And the same thing definitely relates to God, that when we get in the presence of God, there's something that happens that takes part in your life. And marriage, it should be something that holds times of great joy. You know, one of the purposes of marriages is joy. It's something that fills the enjoyment part of the, that, that area of our life. And, you know, the, the world, everything in life, your job, every, whatever comes against you, there's things that just want to take that, want to suck that joy, want to suck that life out. And that marriage bond, that relationship with our spouse and obviously with God, there should be things that pour life back into it. And, you know, when I look at that, that means you have to spend time doing things that you like to do together. So Rachel and I, we have four kids. Generally speaking, when we have time and we make time to go just be alone, normally a good meal with nobody else there is pretty exciting. Like, that brings joy to my heart. Like... That's really good. Um, I was going to say a walk, but that includes physical exertion. So normally that's not even, you know, we just want to sit together. We have even TV, if you could believe that. We have shows that we just love to watch. So, man, if there's a couple hours, we can watch a show, and then we can just sit there and talk. Normally lasts like five minutes tops because then we fall asleep. And it's great. You know, whatever the situation, find things that you can do. I know for Rachel and I, a big thing is going on vacations, going and spending time alone. So this might, I'm from Ohio, I don't know what happened to me, but I love NASCAR, and somehow Rachel is a NASCAR person with me, probably just because I like NASCAR, but she knows I love it, and so we go, try to go to a NASCAR race every year, at least every two, because it's something we can enjoy together, and you can get alone, and what do you do at a NASCAR race? You sit for hours and hours and hours, and that's right in line with our, us and our four kids and resting. So we have so much fun, but find the things that, that just make you happy, that, that cause you to, to joy to build in your heart, because that makes marriage fun. It's not a job. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. You get to live life with the person that God has given you. And, uh, and that's what I'll say. There's a few people in here I know from my church and different that it looks like you're not married yet. I know one right over there. You have to find the right person. Find somebody that is fun. Let them be fun, because if you can have fun together, your life will be fun. If you can't have fun together, there's somebody else for you. Like, like there's somebody else for you. When you can have fun, life is so great. Marriage creates the best environment for raising children, number five. Malachi 2, 14 and 15 says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? It's talking about uh, violating the marriage relationship and, and having children. And when you're seeking to raise godly children, it's best done through a couple with the Spirit of God working in their lives. Uh, gentlemen, let me say here that when you have children, you are responsible for the children. If, you're, if you want to quote that thing, well, I'm the head of the house, that means you're the head of the children. All the men, put your hand up if you understand. I am the head of the children. Oh, a bunch of you, you wimped out halfway through that. Put your hands back up. Hold them up. I am the head of the children. Okay, just want to make sure you got that. Uh, you know, the prophet here in that passage I just read 
the prophet says, take heed. Um, be careful. It's a warning. And, and men, we have a responsibility in raising our children. Put them to bed every night. Pray over them. So, well, I'm tired. No, you're not tired. You're not tired enough to not pray for your kids every night and put them to bed. Uh, read to them. Our, our kids are all readers because every night we would sit and we would, we would read to them. Well, I guess he's, he's the poorest example of being a reader. You have anything you want to share about anything you saw in the home, how we did? Yes, I mean, I, the thing that's so important to me with raising kids is always consistency. And I said at the beginning that we knew what was expected of us, and we pretty much did it because we knew our life would be good. But we also did it because we saw our parents doing the same thing, that every night or every morning, Dad would always be sitting out on the couch, always reading his Bible. And it felt like even if he wasn't home, somehow he was still sitting on the couch reading his Bible because it was just what he did. And he would spend, sometimes it seemed like an incredibly long amount of time because he read, has read through the Bible for 50, not 50, 50 something years, close, forever. He's read through the Bible, which means some days it might take a half hour or whatever the, the length is for that day. And he would sit there and he would read it. And it taught us, it showed us what commitment was, what commitment uh, to mom, you know, to go off of that, that every Thursday, um, they, they always went on a date. They always went every Thursday. And that, that was something that was huge. And it showed us what it was supposed to be like, what a relationship was supposed to be like. And in raising children, it showed us as the kids that when we all of a sudden started having crushes on people, we knew what, they were suppo- what we were supposed to treat them like, but we also knew what we were supposed to be treated like. And it made it so easy because we just did what the Bible said, because our parents did what the Bible said, and they were consistent. It wasn't a flavor of the week as to some parenting technique that would fix us, or, it, you know, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just, this is who we're going to be. And it made it an environment that worked great, because at church, they were the exact same. When people would come and say, your kids are the pastor's kids, and they did this, they'd be like, no, they're just our kids, and we'll talk about it at home, basically. I mean, you know, we'll do whatever it is. And once again, it doesn't matter, pastor's kid, whatever. In other words, it wasn't, I'm so embarrassed because my kid might have done something. It's we're going to line it up with the word, we'll talk through it, and we'll see what God would have to say about it. Pretty simple. And we always knew what that meant. Oh, man. Because the Bible was always the same. So we knew when we did right and wrong. And, but that consistent environment is perfect. And having a dad and a mom that modeled it. And we were homeschooled. We had the great blessing of being homeschooled. So mom... She taught us most of the time, and Dad would help sometimes, and sometimes help us do what we're supposed to do in correction or whatever was we needed. the principal. Was, yeah. You did not want the principal called in, because that never goes well. But it was great in that environment, being able to be there all day long, every day, was such a huge blessing. Uh, number six is unfaithfulness breaks the bond of trust, the foundation of all relationships, and so... Uh, Matthew 27, or Matthew 5, 27 to 30, it says you should not commit adultery. And uh, so guard that part of your relationship. Um, you know, it is so easy with pressure and then somebody out on the workplace saying something that's very encouraging. And then pressure again at home and somebody in the workplace says something very encouraging and pretty soon your heart's turned toward the workplace person rather than home. And so guard against adultery, so unfaithfulness breaks the bond of trust. 
Then number seven, uh, and I'm hurrying because we, the last couple points are, are, are really where we want to be. Number seven is marriage is permanent, Matthew 19, 6. They too uh, are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so marriage is permanent. When you're thinking about marriage, it's, it's not a trial. It's not something we'll see if this works. Um, you know, I, I ran, have been running into people that they say the definition of adultery is when you don't try out your marriage before you get married and then it fail. And I, you know, the terminologies and definitions, when they're changing that, that strange, let me just help you. Marriage is permanent. Marriage is permanent. Uh, number eight, ideally, a death is the only thing that should dissolve marriage. Romans 7, 2, and 3, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. And so it, it goes on through there, Romans 7, 2, and 3. Uh, death is the only thing that should dissolve marriage. Have I, as a pastor, ever recommended divorce? Yes. Uh, but it's not God's intent. The only times I've done so are because of adultery, because of abandonment, or dangerous abuse. Now let me, let me say something right here. I'm finding that there are groups of women in our society that are saying if a man gets gruff with her husband, that is abuse and she should divorce him. Be careful of that philosophy and that attitude. Um, men are going to be gruffer than women usually. Uh, I'm... I'm you know, and so I've uh, I've recommended divorce in the in the situation where a man is dangerous and he's he's going to kill his wife or he's going to kill his kids. Um, get out of there! God has not ordained that type of relationship. Um, Again, I think something that's huge with just that whole thing only to death. I think it's very important that when we make a commitment, number one, personally, we commit, we're committed, but. I also find that with our culture and just where it is, that there's some level of, well, if my spouse would mess up enough that I call it mess up, that gives me like a right, biblically, to get out. And that is not what the Bible would speak of. You know, when it talks about um, someone that, that commits adultery, almost all of these are a consistent pattern of adultery. It's a consistent thing. It's not, oh, they messed up or they talked to that girl, so, or, you know, they accidentally... That is not what is being spoken of here. So personally, of course, we can never let that happen, obviously. But if there's a situation that arises, the commitment, it's a whole lot better to work on what you have and fix what you have, even if there's some hardships and some things that are going to be tough, than to try to divorce and start over and do it again. So now you have two messes. I mean, it doesn't work that way. So I really, really encourage you. Our culture and what it would say about marriage in general is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. But especially in that, we're committed way beyond if, if Rachel, which she's not going to, and I'm not going to, but you know, if she did, if something crazy happened, guess what? We're going to get counseling and we're going to fix it because that's the commitment that we have to one another. And uh, so that, that is something that is so huge. And I encourage you, parents, and uh, man, speak to your kids. You know, let them know. You teach this stuff to them every day a lot better than we could in a in an hour segment, and because uh, it's a lifelong pattern of love and commitment, and man, I, I pray that that's where you live, and that's what you're all about, and that God's grace is enough for us, and our grace, no matter what the situation, I believe, should be enough 
unless there's danger, unless it's a complete rebuttal of, the, of truth and just a, a complete uh, turning towards hurt and abandonment. So. And number nine, marriage is based on the decision to love, not on feelings. Now here's where the rubber really hits the road. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 21 to 33 talks about loving as Christ loved the church. He decided to love. Love is a decision. Not, love is not something that we get butterflies when we see somebody and we say, I'm in love. No, you're not in love. You, you're probably a little more in lust than you are in love at that point because you don't know that person. And love says, I have determined as an act of my will, I'm going to love this person uh, for better, for worse. That also means that uh, falling out of love is a decision. See, if, if I choose to love you, for me to not love you means I choose not to love you. And when I have a couple come into my office and, and, and he says, well, I don't love her anymore. No, you've chosen not to love her. Well, no, the feelings aren't there. No, you've made a choice. You're not going to love her. Because love is a decision. Um, and, and we can work on events and situations and communication styles and methods of romance to help uh, cultivate good feelings, but, but marriage is this decision I have made. It's a decision I've chosen. Uh, one of my favorite books on marriage is Gary Thomas and his book, Sacred Marriage. If you've not read that book, I recommend it. Um, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And he makes this statement. If you don't buy the book, at least photocopy or take a picture of the cover in the bookstore. Marriage is not designed to make you happy. It is designed to make you holy. And if you go into marriage thinking, this is going to make me happy, you're in for a lot of bumps in your life. Marriage is not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you holy. Holy is the word sanctified. It's Sanctification is the fire turned up, boiling the dross out of your life to the top where you can scoop the garbage out of you. And that's what marriage does. God has put you in a married relationship to boil the crud out of your life, the garbage out of your life, boil it to the top. And when you're in a relationship as close as marriage, you, you find out the stuff in you that is really nasty. Um, you know, if you don't understand submission and sacrifice and surrender, marriage is where all of a sudden that slaps you in the face. Uh, because it, it's where you figure out, I have to sacrifice in this relationship. I have to be in submission in this relationship. There are times when I have to surrender what I want to do. You know, if you want to have a Saturday morning where you do what you want to do, don't get married. Saturday morning when I was single, I'd, I'd lay there. I had, a ki- I had a king-size bed. I was a single youth pastor. I had a king-size bed, and I just wrestled myself all over that bed. I slept in all directions. It was wonderful. Saturday morning, I didn't roll over and say, Honey, what do you want to do today? I just got up and did what I wanted to do. I went and jumped on my motorcycle. I went and played football. I, you know what? You get married, you submit your rights to those types of things. And marriage is where you find all the nasty stuff in your life. I'm so thankful for the, for the people that allow me to be sanctified with, with them as spectators of it. 
Kay has been a spectator of my sanctification process for the last 35 years. Uh, last year in our campsite, how many remember what it did last year? Remember it rained? The camp tried to charge us extra because we had lakefront campsites. And it, it was so wet, we, we, br- we brought in boards, we walked on boards, you're barefooted and the mud's coming up between your toes. When that kind of stuff goes on, I get a little bit aggressive. I'm take charge, A personality, you know, let's just, and, and so we said, everybody, get up, get all these kids out here, grab, you grab that, you grab that, you grab that. We picked up our tents, we carried them tents at a time, we carried our whole outpost, we carried everything we owned from where we were to higher ground. And we, we had 75 to 100 people in and out of our campsite last year. I'm so thankful for the people that, that are willing to live with me in my sanctification process. Because I can get aggressive and mean and nasty, and when, later when I have the opportunity to step back and say, I didn't deal with that person the way I should have. That conversation wasn't what it should have been. That's what marriage is. It's not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you holy. I'll say when I was a kid, I don't know why this popped in my head, but I had a best friend, Nathan. He, we were friends. Like I cut his, the tip of his finger off with a shovel when we were trying to dig a pond with shovels. So, like, you know, it went back on mostly. It was fine. But... <laughs> But we, we were friends all the time. And I remember one time, for whatever reason, we got in a fight, and we didn't talk for like three days. And it was just one of those weird things. So we literally played together every day, basketball, all the time, whatever it was. And in marriage, you can't, and if you think you can, you can't just not talk for three days. Or you can't just go back to your house, in that case, because he was my friend, he lived over there, I lived over here. In marriage, you constantly... You have to decide and fix that right now. Because if not, your marriage and your life will be horrible till you do. And so that is so true that it's a constant refining of our, our rough edges. And dad's A-type personality, he definitely passed that on to well, all of his children, but to all of us. And guess what? My wife and I, there's times when she, she doesn't go for three days, but she goes and spends 10 minutes in the bathroom like... And then we come and we talk about it because she knows what I need, which is a little space, right? So we, so we go give each other a little time, and then we come and we talk through it. And you come out stronger and better. But if you decide that instead of doing that, you're just going to shut it down and not talk about it, then all of a sudden you're taking steps away from God's best, away from what he has for you, from you, away from growing and being sanctified. Instead, you're doing the opposite. And we try our best to never let those moments go where then we go to bed and we're mad because the Bible talks about that. You don't do that. And I mean, that's just something that is so huge. It's a decision. And it's a decision that every single day you make. That if we have something that we disagree on, we're going to talk through it. We're going to work through it today. Not tomorrow or next week or in a year when it's a huge deal. We're going to work on it today. And we're going to get better. We're going to grow. And we're going to become more of who God has called us to be. The, the last one is that marriage is good and honorable. And I think this is something in our culture and society today, um, the TV would like to, to make it not seem this way. 
that whatever you want to do, whatever expression of life, of, of morals that you want, go for it. That's what our TV, but the Bible and the truth and the truth of life and the truth of what works and the truth of what is honorable, what is holy, what is going to make your life worth living instead of a mess and a problem is living in a life of marriage. If you're going to have somebody that you're intimate with, you choose right now that marriage is what you do, that marriage is it. And Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You know, is marriage hard work? Absolutely. I think we've had some talk. I mean, obviously, you've been there. You've seen your parents. Marriage is hard work, but it is good and it's honorable and it makes life so much better in those situations when God's called us there. It's so, it's perfect to be able to work with my wife talking about the best place to raise kids. I can promise you there's no way I would have four kids if I did not have my wife, right? I mean, it would be, it'd be tough and God's grace is there for us, but it's honorable. It's right. It's holy. And then as the church family jumps in on that and we help each other and we help each other in the situations that they're in, God loves marriage. He loves what it is. He loves us having children and, and raising them for him. And God, he, he loves it. If your marriage isn't what you want it to be, isn't what it could be, start working on it. Uh, any relationship requires hard work. Uh, if you've sinned against your marriage, repent to God. Repent to your spouse if necessary. Um, if your spouse does not know about an unfaithfulness, they do not necessarily need to know about it. Go to your pastor. Go to a brother. Go to a sister. Because you know, there are some things that you, you're going to exacerbate and it's going to become worse. And so deal with it in, a, in a, an appropriate way. But repent of sin. Uh, if you're a selfish jerk... You know, learn how to humble yourself. Learn how to serve. Learn how to uh, live sacrificially. If your home isn't a place where children uh, should be raised, change it. If your marriage is not happy, you make it happy. But remember, it's not always supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be a place where you're getting the rough edges knocked off of you. Here, here's one of the things that, that we like to share at Marriage Encounter. The first miracle is at a wedding. Jesus is there at Cana, and he ends up taking water, turning it into wine. The, the head of the, the party, he takes a drink, and he says, Wow, this is really weird. Usually you bring out the... the you know, the good wine first, people get to taste it, then when they get a little soused, they don't know if the second wine is good or bad. Because they, they've already been anesthetized. They've, they've, you know, become numb to it. He says, this is really weird because what you've done is you've given good wine at the first and great wine later. And I think what Jesus was doing there is he's giving an illustration of marriage. Marriage, it'll start out good, but if we will let Jesus touch our wedding, it'll be better at the end than it is at the beginning.